0: All right everyone welcome to find the magic this is felicia i am here alone today interviewing carl honore he is the author of in praise of slowness a book that i just devoured and loved and we've been talking about slowing down being a little less busy a little more intentional with our lives. So we want to welcome him. I would say that you are an expert, Carl, on this topic, and I'm excited to chat with you. Can you introduce yourself for our audience who may not know you?
2: Sure. I'm Carl Honoré, and I'm a writer, a journalist, a broadcaster, a speaker, and I think I'm best known as the voice of the slow movement.
0: <laughs> and tell us where you're based.
2: I, I'm based in London, England, although I'm Canadian by upbringing.
0: Oh, cool. and tell us, do you have kids. you have a lot of parents listening.
2: I do. I've got two children, but they're I've just crossed over that magical line into empty nest status. <laughs> <last minute. laughs> my my children are now 22 and 19, both of them away at university. So I'm oh. I'm opening a new chapter, but um I'm still a parent, but it's a different the rules of the game have shifted and the nest is definitely feeling pretty empty at the moment.
0: Yeah, I I looked to that, so I have four kids and they're all little, so seven and under. And, you know, I didn't know how many kids I wanted, but looking to having adult kids uh, makes me excited to have, they just turn into your little friends, little best friends that you raise. So I'm excited for that stage. So I wanted to dive in to what the slow movement and what living more slowly actually means. I'm not sure that it's crossed over here into the States as much as it has where you are. So can you break it down a little bit for us?
2: Sure. I, I think when people first hear it, they think, oh no, everything must be slow. I've got to move in slow motion. <laughs> I've got mm-hmm. to throw away my iPhone and live in a hut and grow organic carrots, you know, in, in the back <laughs> country. That's not, I mean, that's one version of slow, but it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not an extremist. Or a fundamentalist of slowness, right? I love speed. Yeah, I live in London. <laughs> mm-hmm. I play hockey. You know, faster <laughs> is often better, we know that. But but not always. And that's the key to unlocking this whole slow philosophy or slow revolution, because slow with a capital S is mm-hmm. about doing things at the right speed. Musicians talk about the tempo giusto, the correct tempo for each piece of music. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets to what the slow culture quake is about it. It's hard. It's sure. Sometimes you're going to be fast, but other times you want to slow things down. And, and ultimately really, I think you go, go further because to me, slow is a state of mind. It's a mentality. It's kind of quality before quantity. It's being present and in the moment, being intentional, being mindful. It's about doing one thing at a time. Do you remember when we used to do that? Right. Um, ultimately, I guess slow is about doing everything, not as fast as possible, but as well as possible, mm-hmm. which in its core is immensely simple but is hugely powerful, right? Because once you take that slow chip and slot it into your head, it will utterly change and revolutionize everything you do in a good way, which which is right. why people talk generally about the slow movement. But if you go down a level, you'll find many slow movements in every walk of life. So that I'm sure many people in the U.S. have heard of the slow food movement, but there's, Mm -hmm. you know, slow city, slow sex, slow education, slow parenting, slow fashion, slow travel, slow medicine, slow Mm -hmm. architecture. You know, whatever field of human endeavor you can think of, people are bringing the lens of slow to the party and saying, how can I do this thing better by slowing down a bit, right? By bringing Mm -hmm. a slow spirit to the game.
0: And you break down a lot of those in your book, which I think is really fascinating to you know, look at different elements of our life where we're rushing through them instead of experiencing them. And there's a story that you tell, and I think it is your story, not a secondhand story, about bedtime stories.
2: Oh, yeah. That's very much my story. That's that's, <laughs> that's my origin story. And and I was I was so ashamed by that story. I almost didn't put it in the book, but then I realized that I had to, to be honest. And because it was the spark for writing in praise of slowness to, to begin with. And for my whole journey away from my roadrunner existence right. to living something much more like slow. So the story is this, you know, I, I like a lot of parents when my children were young, you know, I just was stuck in fast forward and every moment of my day was a race against the clock. I couldn't slow down. And that spilled over into that very sacred ritual, which is when a parent sits down at the end of the day, usually after a bath and <laughs> reads a story. And I, I was just so fast. I was sk- skipping lines, paragraphs, whole pages, you know, my version of Snow White had three dwarves in it. It was that (laughs) just ridiculous, you know, my son would say, you know, what happened to Grumpy? (laughs) And this, this really lamentable state of affairs went on some, for some time till I caught myself flirting with buying a book I'd heard about, a book called the one minute bedtime story. So Snow White in 60 (laughs) seconds. And I laugh about it now, but I, the time, my first reaction was yes, I need that book now. Amazon drone delivery, <laughs> but then you know, very different second reaction. I thought, whoa, wake up call. Am I really in such a hurry? I'm prepared to fob off my little boy with a soundbite instead of a story mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You know, that was kind of hitting the bottom. I think right. bottoming out, and, and from there, from there, it was all about investigating not only my own addiction to speed, but the bigger picture, and that led to writing the book and completely changing my whole life from the inside out.
0: Yeah, as I read your book, I thought, you know, I don't think a lot of us realize the speed at which we're doing things.
2: True. I think we get stuck in fast forward and we lose all sense of what we're doing and more importantly, why we're doing it. You know, it's, I think for many people, speed becomes a, an instrument of denial. It ends up being a way of running away from deeper, bigger questions, such as who am I? What's my purpose here? Am I living the right life for me? Is my family well? You know, it's much easier to go for the low hanging fruit, which is to get really busy, really distracted, overstimulated, and just sweat the small stuff. Like, where are my keys? I'm late for my mm-hmm. son's volleyball tournament. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and we never go deep. We never ask why we're going so fast. We never ask what we're running towards and what we're running from. We just run. <laughs> and, and that's very often why it takes for people some kind of shock the system. My shock came in the form of a bedtime stories epiphany. Other people, it will be, your health falling apart, you know, the body will one day say, no, we're just not doing this speed thing anymore. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you you can't get out of bed one morning or you have a heart attack. Right. Right. So very often it takes some kind of external cattle prod (laughs) to, -hmm. to wake us up to the fact that we're racing through our lives instead of living them.
0: And it feels almost like whole thing, like this frenetic, like hum underneath. And, you know, it's when I take those moments to slow down with my little kids, I almost start to feel like an anxiety where it's like, wait, there's things to check off. And that, that starts to build. And I really have to push against it and being aware of it. I've started to become frustrated that the world has pushed us into this. And it's almost like this comparison of wait, but somebody else is probably getting X, Y, Z done or their kid is probably in this sort of an extracurricular and I'm not. So do you have any tips on how we can get out of that hum that we're feeling?
2: Yeah. Put a note of caution to begin with, which is that when people first wake up to the folly of racing through life and turning their children's childhood into a race to perfection, very often the solution, just because we are so marinated in speed and so infected by the virus of hurry, is that Mm -hmm. we want to fix the problem fast, right? Right. So we, we, we wake up to the the, the thing going wrong. And we think, well, what, what are the 10 things I can do by lunchtime, that are <laughs> gonna put this right. And so whether it's, you know, suddenly you're signing up for yoga and you're rushing off to do a sort of cooking class with your kids, because you've heard that's good for family bonding, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not the way to do it. You have to slow down slowly, right? So once you have that moment of awakening or awareness then you need just to take some time, really don't, don't rush into changing things, take some time to, to sit with your feelings, to let your mind wander, to talk and listen, really genuinely talk and listen to your children, mm-hmm. uh, read between the lines, analyze their body language, You know, try to get a sense of who you are again, reconnect with yourself and who your children are. And once you get that, that's a starting point for redesigning your life, for reshifting the priorities around so that if you've got a jam packed extracurricular schedule with five activities for per child, you know, maybe you start to think, okay, you work out through that slow moment of getting reacquainted with each other and yourself, you work out that maybe two of those activities could go, right, they're not Mm -hmm. that important. You're doing them for the wrong reasons. You're doing them because the alpha family down the street is doing them, or you think it's gonna get you into Harvard when it very likely won't, or even the question of whether getting into Harvard is really the be all and end all of of life, right? So you start to get into these bigger questions and once you get into them, you're gonna find the right answers for you. And once you do, that's when it becomes a lot easier to start designing day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month what your family life looks like and what kind of childhood you want your children to have. So I, th- I think it's that the starting point is always some kind of big deceleration within the family. Time to think, time to reconnect, time to reset and reboot. And then you start going on and working out what your family life should be. I can't tell you. And, and if anyone tries to tell you what it should be, run a mile, right? I'm mean, run it slowly <laughs> if you like, but run away because nobody knows there's no universal formula, right? That's part of the right. problem now is that we're all bombarded by images of the perfect family. Here's this formula. Here are the six tips you need to do before lunch to make your child ace, whatever this, that, and the other. And, and I just think a lot of that is, it's I'm going to go as far as to say it's toxic, right? right. It, I think it, it disempowers parents It take it, it erodes our confidence. It makes us think that we don't know our children. We don't know what's best for them. You know, we need outside help. And that outside help generally is offering a one size fits all, right? It's offering <laughs> one vision, one version of success. And that ties into the whole fast culture because fast tying into the whole Silicon Valley globalization mm-hmm. paradigm is about frictionlessness, right? You want everything to be the same so it can get pushed through as fast as possible. That same ethos, I think, has been applied to parenting and child rearing. So that we we don't honor all of those quirks and nuances and idiosyncrasies in our children. We try to sand them down and fit right. them into this one model of success. And that way lies all kinds of trauma, unhappiness, and failure ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I think so many parents are waking up, whether it's when their kids are first hit kindergarten or primary or wherever it is, there comes a moment if you get stuck up in that, that crazy dash to the finish line, high stakes, high pressure, high speed approach to raising your children. And we all get caught up in them. And I was caught up in, in it too. With the moment when you realize it, that you're caught up in it, it's not working, it's not right. It's a kind of aha moment. You think, how did I get here? This is not what mm. I wanted for me. It's not what I imagined for my family. It's not what I wanted for my children. Yet here I am, right? Right. You know, charging through red lights to get to Kumon on time, right? Right. Wolf, wolfing <laughs> down dinner on the sidelines while watching my children play, you know, uh, volleyball. And I'm also, you know, texting somebody, you know, you know, you you end up doing 50,000 things and not doing any of them especially well. So less is more is also the core of the slow philosophy. But a starting point, just to bring this answer full circle, is take <laughs> that time to shut out the sound and fury that swirls around modern parenting, to turn away for a moment from all of the wall of noise, from the parenting advice, industrial complex, not Mm -hmm. to worry about what the Joneses are doing next door and look inside, take the time Mm -hmm. to look inside yourself, your own family, your own children. You will work it out. Trust me. You will just take the time, slow down and do it. It will work. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it feels like this, almost like an assembly line feeling where there's an end. And I think, often when I feel my family going too fast, I just think there is no end. You know, I saw this book the other day, it's like, something like 100 lessons to get your child to read. And I was just giggling, like, but isn't the goal that they want to like love stories and, and learn to love the, you know, the process of learning, I'm homeschooling my I don't even know what grade he should be in, but he's, he's uh, greater age and it's so funny because, you know, the questions are like, well, have you been able to teach him this and that math and this, what about the testing of this and that? And it's hard not to get caught up in it, but when I don't, and when I just watch him exploring and creating and building, I'm like, what, how can I bring him in to do a worksheet when he is yes. doing this and nothing against school? I think school school is fantastic. I wasn't thinking I was going to homeschool until COVID, but it is cool to see his mind being interested in things that he would never be exposed to, you know, sitting in front of a worksheet or computer. And I think we just need to question that, like you're saying, question a little bit, our assumptions of what childhood and life should look like, because there's a lot of people telling us what it should look like, but really we can design it
2: how we want. Exactly. And and brought up two words there that I'm going to pluck out. One was goal and the other was process. And I think that gets to the heart of so much of where we go wrong mm-hmm. with our approach to children and that we turn everything into a, a goal. Everything is goal oriented, right? So there are hoops to jump through milestones to hit and they're all standardized, right? They're the same for everyone. When we all know anyone who's even had two children or had anything to do with more than one kid it knows that every child is different, right? Every child mm-hmm. is unique. Every parent family is unique. Every community school is unique. And yet we we're, all stultified by the same one size fits all straight jacket. And, and so much of what the whole slow education, slow parenting, slow family movement is about backing away from that and going much more bespoke, right? Just saying, you know, there, there are a million different ways to learn and uh, live and laugh and grow up and to stifle people with one p- true path uh, mm-hmm. and say that this is the alpha track if you're not on that you're a loser, right? If you right. If you're not on the alpha track heading to, you know, these grades, these three universities, this career that you failed. I mean, that just seems to me. I mean, not it's just not like absurd, it's poisonous, right? Because right. anyone who knows anything about the world knows that there are, you know, millions of ways to grow up and thrive and be of service and to make them, you know, to make the most of your life and um I think process is so much more important when it comes to to children. It's less about You know dragging them to a finish line it's the journey it's what they Mm -hmm. pick up along the way and how they you know go sideways and trip over and then maybe need a bit of help to get up or get up on their own dust themselves down all that stuff that is where the real learning that's where the real music and the magic happens Mm -hmm. it's not when they score 10 out of 10 or get a plus i mean that that could be part of the equation too but that the trouble is that the tail is wagging the dog right we're so obsessed so obsessed with metrics And things you can measure and put on a CV or a resume or a Ivy League application that we lose sight of the the stuff that can't be measured. There's a great quote from Isaac Einstein, who said once that um, not everything that can can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's so, so true for childhood is that so many of the things that light up a childhood that, that drive cognitive development, learning, creativity, social skills, a sense of self, all that stuff comes when when we, as adults, often when we back up, get out of the picture, right? Just let them be, <laughs> let them get on with exploring the world in their own terms, getting bored even, right? You know, right. We're, we're also terrified of boredom nowadays, but you know, throughout human history, when a child came to a parent and said, I'm bored, that was a child's problem, right? Your mom would say, right. well, go outside, uh, find something to play with, or or they would use that eternal phrase, use your imagination. <laughs> now, now a child says to a parent, I'm bored. And the, you know, as a parent, we're freaking out and they go, no, I'm, My child's bored, I'm failing as a dad, I'm failing as a mom. Where's the iPad? Maybe we need another extracurricular. Mm -hmm. But actually, what you really need is to back off and let the boredom happen. Because it's precisely in those moments of unstructured time, of no metrics, of no tests, targets, or timetables. It's in those moments, those slow moments, that children learn how to think, how to create, how to invent, how to use their imagination, how to get along with their peers, how to work out who they are. And that really, those all those things I've just listed there are the cornerstone. Of childhood development, and they are the the tools that allow you to live a life to the to the fullest, and they all come from what I would describe as slowing down.
0: And I'm probably gonna, you know, put you on the spot here. We we talk a lot about this on our podcast. It's something that I feel really passionate about. Having three boys, I see in them when our schedules are too busy or when screens are introduced too much that they just start to get really grumpy, anxious, you name it. We know how kids get when they're overstimulated. But I find when I give this idea to people, they often say, you know, that their kids are really uncomfortable and bothering them. And the only advice I have is to get through that discomfort because they've been conditioned to be stimulated and entertained.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the problem is and I totally get this. I mean, I've been there as a parent. You know, we are tired. Often we're underslept. We're mm-hmm. juggling. We've got a lot of things on. Some, often we just feel we don't have the bandwidth or the energy to push through mm-hmm. that discomfort you described there. But in a way, that's kind of what parenting comes down to. I think that's where the rubber really hits the road. Mm-hmm. Is where you have to take the unpopularity hit. Sometimes you've got to say, okay, well, my child is a little bit cranky, a little bit ornery. I know that's because he's probably spent too much time in the Xbox. Rather, I think many of us in that position would just say, well, I got too much going on. I just another half hour on the Xbox, what harm is being done, right? Which, mm-hmm. you know, you can go that route and, you know, but I, I think the better route is to say, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to step up here and, you know, that's the end of the Xbox now. Mm-hmm. But because I think children, a lot of those independent play muscles, that capacity to seek out their own fun and diversion and the wonder that is so natural to children i think we've drummed that out of them by downloading so much stuff into their heads right they're just constantly bombarded with distraction and stimulation and algorithms telling them how to play and how to play better and stuff they've kind of lost the art of doing it on their own so they struggle with boredom right as we do as adults right i mean this is not just a children problem so i think you need to relearn the lost art being bored you gotta reintroduce it to them but but gently right you can't just sort of cold turkey switch off the xbox walk out of the room and leave them to get they're probably gonna break something right or break break themselves or find a way to get the xbox switch back on again Mm -hmm. i think in the early stages as parents you kind of need to step up this is a transitional phase where you say, okay, we're switching off the Xbox now, but look, let's go do something, something that doesn't involve a screen. Let's go next door and you get some art project out, or or you go outside for a walk, or I don't know, you throw a baseball around, or you do, or you cook or bake something, right? You just do something that's sort of tactile and simple and real and slow and and involves and human connection. And you kind of can do that to wean them off the screen. And then what you will realize that over time, when the screen is switched off, they've got those muscles back and they can then go do their own art project, their own baking, their own ball throwing. They don't necessarily need you as well. So I think as parents, it is hard that first transitional phase, but you know, parenting is hard, right? It's going to be hard, whatever you do. So at least I would say, take the hard option that's going to bear the sweetest fruit later on.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, a few things stuck out to me that you said, but it is a reconnecting ourselves to our body, to our own boredom, to the things that are gnawing in our minds. When we slow down, we have to have the space in our own schedules to be able to slow down for our kids.
2: Totally. And we all know the famous phrase attributed to Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. If you, as a parent are dashing around like a headless chicken, juggling 14 things at once with one eye constantly on your phone you are never gonna be able to give a slow childhood to your children, you just won't, right? Because you won't be present, you'll also be modeling the opposite behavior, right? So uh, uh, the first step, I think, for anyone out there thinking, well, I'd like to embrace this slow approach to childhood and let my children have a proper slow childhood, you gotta put your own house in order first, I think. You know, you got to find your own inner tortoise before Mm -hmm. you can help your children find theirs. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors, whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page, and these are people that we know and trust.
1: Hey everyone, Caitlin here. I just want to thank you all for listening to Find the Magic. We are so, so thankful for you, our amazing listeners, and we think of you as some of our best friends. This was a review that I read recently that I absolutely loved. It said, The only podcast I religiously listen to. This podcast saved my motherhood. I listen doing laundry, walking, making dinner, sneaking those AirPods in so no one bothers me wherever I can. The mamas are like having coffee with best friends. And can I just insert here... I love this. Amen. They keep it so real. And during the pandemic, bless you girls, this time is so challenging. Sometimes I feel like I am barely getting by, but they make me laugh because they remind you that everyone is going through this thing called life and motherhood even now. Hugs and love from MJ. I just absolutely love this review. And these reviews mean the world to us. And we read every single one of them. So not only do they mean so much to us, but they actually really do help us here at Find the Magic. So I wanted to invite you guys, if you haven't already left a review for the podcast, we would love for you to, because it truly does help us grow the podcast. And we just want to thank you all our friends for listening and for being here with us.
0: So... On that note, you know, this is a line from your book. I don't know if it's word for word, but you say there's a nine disconnect between what we want and what we can have instead of paring down. Often we try to cram more and more into our hours. I think that rings so true constantly. It's like, here's this next, you know, like fitness goal you can have and read this book and, you know, start this little side hustle. And that's yeah. the world right now. It's like pulsing with things we can do, but yet we're complaining about our schedules, we're exhausted, we don't change anything. So simply you can just say, stop doing all those things. What are some concrete tips yeah. that- you can uh, take Sure,
2: away? well, I, uh, first is, I mean, a, a starting point here for slowing down has to be for most people do less, but as you say, that's not enough just to throw, do less at people, that right. doesn't just bounce <laughs> off them, right? Uh, I, I think a, a way to work your way into that mode is to run pilot projects or little experiments, so you don't have to go cold turkey, whole hog, all in. Just say for the next week, you know, I'm going to let two things go from the schedule that are in the schedule each day, or one thing. Start small, right? One thing a day that we've got in there. We're just gonna look. We're just gonna pause because very often when you pause and look at what you're in your schedule, you realize that it's not that important, right? I mean, this is the trouble. We cram our schedules because we're obsessed with making the most of our time and time is money and all that. We end up just packing with fluff, right? Filler that we don't even remember six months later. Maybe even six weeks later, we can't remember it. And yet at the time we think, well, I can't drop this. I actually need another hour to squeeze more stuff in. But most of us don't, you know, most of the stuff that we do in our lives is not that important. There's very little of it that's really important. And it's when you slow down, take the time to listen, look inside, that then it becomes easier to look at your schedule, think, you know what, actually put this in order of priority top to bottom and I probably can cut a thing or two at the bottom. So do that, right? And try for a week. And then at the end of the week, regroup alone, yourself or partner, family, and just ask it. You know, what was that like? How did that? How did this week feel compared to our normal week? You know, could we cut more? Or is it enough? We did we cut enough? What, what did we learn slow wise? You know, so just try little experiments and, and tailor them to your own circumstances rather than, again, downloading some thick, rigid pack of advice from, from someone just, just very simple. Keep it simple. Just work out your own way of doing it, but do less and do it as a pilot project and then test and reiterate um, over and over as they do in Silicon Valley. Right. Right. Um, a, a second thing I would say is uh, the, the gadgets, the technology. I mean, you know, I, I made a TV show in Australia called frantic family rescue where basically I, everybody knows super nanny, right. Um, I'm, I'm like slow nanny in the show. So I get these very fast families, like, yeah. totally yeah. wired, super busy. They're always running and I get, I have to slow them down in a month. And I always start off every uh, program with every family with with what I call the gadget box. So I turn up on the first day with this box. Every screen in the house—that's TV, tablets—everything goes into the box, right, mm-hmm. for the month. And it's a pretty traumatic day. There are tears that day, and, and I don't just—I don't just mean the children, right? Their parents in tears. Um, but it's interesting. You, you you come back at the end of the month, and the family rips open the box, and they go back get their gadgets out and start using them. But they use them all with a very different spirit. And even kids that have gone through this program with me who were Playing Xbox for five six hours a day. You know, one of them, an eleven year old, said to me after he said, "You know what? I, I still want to play Xbox, but just not as much, right? You know, I might play one hour a day. I'm definitely not going to play on Saturdays because now I'm doing, you know, soccer and um, swimming, and you know, so you know, use the, the off button. So other things you can do in a family with technology: nominate certain uh, excursions in the car. Like every time you get in the car to go to, I don't know, Walmart or see Granny, no phones on in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have certain times of day whenever the screen in the house is turned off because you don't have, the gadget box is, is, is extreme, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting you, you go straight for that. You might want to go there, work your way there in the long-term, but I think shorter term, you want smaller fixes. So you say for an hour after parents come home from work, nobody looks at a screen all Sunday morning, no, you know, whatever it is, whatever works for your family, just build in those moments uh, and have also, if you, if you have the space, nominate one room in the house or. a corner of a room permanently screen free. And it's amazing how that becomes a kind of sanctuary or a refuge or a place where people go because they know they won't be distracted and they end up having conversations there that they wouldn't have elsewhere because they know they're not being interrupted. So so create a physical space that's free Mm -hmm. of screens and distractions and the speed of, of software. And just one other little tech hack is they've shown that when two people are in a conversation together, it could be parent, child, husband, wife, it could be Two friends or boss employee. If there is a phone visible during that conversation, just visible, doesn't have to ring, vibrate or illuminate, just visible. Those two people keep the conversation at a more superficial level, right? Because part of their brain is thinking, "Hmm, what's happening in the inbox?" They're not fully present. They're not there. They're kind of they're on the information superhighway at the same time as they're in the conversation. So, quick, easy win here. Next time you're in a conversation in your family home with anyone. Put your phone out of sight. That's what pockets are for or it bags or whatever, right? Just get it and it will make a palpable instant difference to your conversation. Your conversation will be deeper, more meaningful, more rounded, more slow. So those are a couple of tips there. Just a final thing I would throw in is maybe build into the family schedule little moments or activities that are slow, right? So I mentioned some of your things like for a walk around a puzzle, right? Putting out a big puzzle on the kitchen table, just stuff like that that involves, that doesn't involve a screen, that doesn't involve competition and comparison. It just involves the joy of doing and doing together. Uh, that, That also reconnects you with all the deep reservoirs of slow that are there in every family to be tapped into. If only we would slow down to do so.
0: Yeah. I think any parent right now can think of times when, you know, our little kids are telling us a story and we're either you know, finishing up something on our phone and we may feel like it is important or it's something that we need to do. And I'm not saying we can just sit on the ground and listen to four-year-old stories all day. I know that we do have things to do. That
2: that can get, that can get pretty tiring. (laughs) I've been there, (laughs) especially my son, who was a very (laughs) garrulous storyteller, but, but it, but it's so true. I mean, those are, it's people often say, I can't slow down. Life will pass me by. But actually it's the opposite, right? It, mm-hmm. Life is what's happening right here, right now. And it's only by slowing down that you can actually live it and, yep. and listening to those little stories. Those are the things that that give life meaning and color and texture. Those are the things you'll remember later. On. I mean, nobody lies in their deathbed and looks back and thinks, I wish I'd spent more time on Instagram, right? right? Or in the office. What you remember is lying on the floor, listening to your child, Telling an endless story about Rapunzel, right? That's Mm -hmm. what you're going to remember. You're going to remember those long, languid lunches where your grandparents were sitting around the table, you know, in the garden. You can remember the long walks you went with your partner with during lockdown, right, Mm -hmm. Um, to get a bit of air and some exercise. Those are things you're going to remember. Those are things that light us up. That's what life's about. And and yet, look at any time you study, and those things get so little time and so little (laughs) attention from us. The stuff that we pour our time into is, you know, social media, TV, work, endless messages that we won't even remember three minutes from now, you know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of a fl- this is slow, is such a powerful tool for flipping priorities and getting down to the core, and getting to what really matters.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's really looking at what am I valuing? You know, I think so many of us when you said what do we have to do this, I think a really good first step is looking at what you're saying you you have to do because I think there's so much that we think we have to do or we should do and really we get to choose what are the things that we value and in the end those are the things that we should be putting our time into not what someone else is telling us
2: yeah that's a nice I think that's a really good way to get at slow is is that's as I said at the outset you know slowing down taking time to think about who you are and what matters to you what your values are and once you get that straight in your head then the small stuff flows. Because once you you know where you stand in terms of what's important, it's very clear to you what you wanna say yes to and what you wanna say no to. And, right. and that's such a key part of slowing down and saying no, we find it very hard to do that. We're just yes men and yes women running around saying yes to everything, right? right. Partly because of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, but there's also partly we don't disappoint people, partly because everyone else is doing it, they're all saying yes. and And yet if you do pause, long enough to think about why that big why question you realize that many of the things you're saying yes to don't deserve a yes they deserve a no (laughs) which reminds me actually of a a favorite quote of mine it's not to do with parenting but in a way I think it could apply to it it's from Warren Buffett he said once the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything Mm -hmm. and I think that's a very useful he's obviously thinking about the workplace but I think that's not not necessarily bad advice for parenting as well, right?
0: Like success in our our families is every, every time we say yes, we're saying no to something else. And I think oftentimes that's our kids, yeah. our spouse, our family time is getting eaten up by the outside world.
2: And the flip side of that, of course, is every time we say no to something, we're saying yes to what really matters right we're saying a big right. yes to the things there family all the things that really really ultimately matter and i think covet has brought that home to people a lot mm-hmm. of people hasn't mm-hmm. it that just because we've been shut in our homes there's been less to do thought we've been forced to do less we've been we've gone through a global workshop and slowing down in a way <laughs> uh, i think a lot of people that's been a silver lining learning that they can not only get by with doing less but actually it's kind of a relief not having to do 95 things in a day, right? It's nice to do, I don't know, five things and do them really well, enjoy them and be there for them and remember them and do them with the people that really matter to you. And I think that's, that's something you you see a lot in social media and the mainstream media that those kind of testimonies from people in their experience of COVID. I think, you know, people have kind of reconnected with that slow side of family life and mm-hmm. have loved it and are talking about ways of keeping it, when we come out of, as we are hopefully now coming out of this nightmare.
0: (laughs) Right. I, I think that has been one silver lining to it all. So as we wrap up here, I do have one thing I wanted to touch on and see, I didn't prep you for this, but it's something that I've been thinking about that oftentimes, instead of, you know, taking things out when we're feeling overwhelmed, we just try to get more and more efficient at the things that we are doing. And I see that it's something that the slow movement pushes again. Can you speak to that at all? Just that cult of efficiency that's trying to get yeah, us yeah. to do things, you know, buy your smoothie pack. So they're ready. So you have an extra three minutes. And yeah. that's something yeah. that really helps me is like, wait, no, I want to, you know, take the time to enjoy making this and letting my kids taste it or whatever. So is that built into the slow idea?
2: Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to underscore that slow does not mean inefficient, right? It's not the right. other side, not the cult of inefficiency, right? I mean, efficiency has its place. Uh, I mean, I, you know, when I was trying to run an errand the other day and I got stuck in some awful traffic here in London and I, I basically added 55 minutes to my normal journey. and And that's, you know, that's bad, slow, right? That's inefficient. And because I'm calm about time and stuff. No, I didn't, you know, I just listened to a podcast and it was okay. But that—that I wouldn't have chosen that, right? Efficiency has its place, but the cult of efficiency, the idea of like going back to Taylorism from the early 19th century, where you're always trying to shave off a second here, a second there. And again, it comes back to what I was saying earlier that we become obsessed with metrics, right? And as soon as you get obsessed with metrics and measuring things, the thing that's being measured the measurement becomes more important than the thing or the act itself, right? right. So you, as just as you said it very eloquently there, that you you want to enjoy this sort of preparing of the food and the tasting of it and the children being around and putting it in the bag to get all that stuff. I mean, those are those little tiny joys that they're very hard to render in a spreadsheet, right? And yet they're the things we remember. They're the things that light us up, that, that get us through. It is important to be efficient, but it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You do want... Some things, I guess, Some, I guess maybe you could say you want sort of certain kinds of good inefficiency, right? Little moments where things aren't moving as fast as possible, or, or, or there's a little detour and you're forced to stop. And because you were forced to stop, can I actually, can I tell you a little story? Do we have time? Yeah. i heard this recently. I've just heard this the other day. I was watching a documentary and I thought it was a perfect example of how, you know, Silicon Valley, everything's about frictionlessness, right? I think that's, that's the ultimate apotheosis of Efficiency culture is frictionless. Things just move without any friction, right? And I think that slow tells us that friction is good, right? It's when, you know, friction creates heat that a little bit of smoke, it it forces you to stop. You might take a different turn. You might just go down a rabbit hole you hadn't seen because because when you're frictionless and moving at high speed, you just are, you're in tunnel vision, right? Right. You're only going to get what the algorithm prescribes for you. You're only going to get the same thing over and over again. It's friction. It's those unexpected potholes that throw up amazing moments of discovery and newness. And the example I want to give you is this. I, I thought it was so funny. It was, um, they were interviewing the producer of uh, Greece. You remember the musical Greece, right? Mm-hmm. And they needed another song for, for to finish out the, the soundtrack. And the libretto or whatever. And, and the, the producer rang up Barry Gibb, yeah, who was the who was writing songs for it, a great songwriter from the Bee Gees. Yeah. And Barry Gibb was on his yacht at the time when he took this call. And this is back in the 70s, right? So the um the phone line was poor and they couldn't hear each other. So the phone call was not frictionless, right? There was a lot of what did you say? I can't quite, you know. So so the producer was saying to Barry Gibb, he said to him, Look, we need one more track here, Barry, and it's it's about Greece. And Barry Gibb couldn't hear him, and he said, Greece, what? Like, like the country. Greece. And, and, and the producer said, no, no, not the country. No, Greece, like, no, not the country. And they were back and forth. And he said, and eventually the producer shouted down the line, said, no, Greece, like the word, Greece is the word. <laughs> and, and Barry Gibb wrote down Greece is the word and the rest is history.
0: Yeah? <laughs> oh, I love that story. That is funny. <laughs> you have one, you know, little quote in your book that you, I don't know, I think you were calling yourself Before you started down this path, Scrooge with a stopwatch. And (laughs) I was just giggling because I think we all feel like that. And I think that this awakening with the, you know, slow living, getting back to appreciating life and the things that we truly value a little bit more, that, you know, comes into my mind multiple times in the day when I'm like, all right, hurry, let's get in the car. We got to go do this and hurry and eat. And, you know, all of us become Scrooge with a stopwatch. And I'm trying to, push against that. And so it makes me really grateful for the work that you're doing and for this movement. And I hope that we can all give each other permission to slow down a little bit more.
2: I think we can. I noticed the other day that Google had done some research. And during the last year, the number of views of YouTube videos that talk about slow living had gone up 400%, which I think wow. shows <laughs> what people are yearning for. People right. are tired of being scrooge with a stopwatch. They uh-huh. want to stop counting the minutes and the hours and the seconds and start living them. And that's really what right. slow is all about.
0: All right, well, thank you, Carl. And uh, we'll we'll link your book, but is there anything that you're currently working on that you wanna share with our yeah, audience?
2: There are a couple of things I'd love to share just briefly with the audience. Um, I, I have my second book is called Under Pressure and it's all about specifically about parenting, education mm. and family life and stuff. So if people oh. are especially interested in how slow applies to that, then that may be the, the, the way to go. Um, I mean, praise of slowness talks, there's one chapter about the whole kind of family children thing but it's it's slow in general across the board so there's the two options there for people the second thing i want to share is that um my pandemic baby is that i finally been meaning to do it for years never had the bandwidth but that's what the pandemic gave us was extra bandwidth i've written a workbook called 30 days to slow oh, wow. so that's very exciting yeah i'm doing kind of free online boot camps so uh, go and check that out that that may be of interest to people and then lastly my go-to link for all things that all my, you know, Ted talks and everything, the books and digital court, everything you need to know much more than you would ever want to know about me and what <laughs> I do is at carlhonoray.info. So that's just my name, carlhonoray.info. And I think it may even be at in as well, but carlhonoray.info is, is where to go. Ooh,
0: I'm excited to dive into those. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for helping us find the magic. Brown cows.